It was a good time. My favorite, Bugs Bunny, Ferdinand the Bull. When they did the bullfighting, that was awesome. Not that you cared about what my favorite Bugs Bunny episode was, but that's what it is. So what's your favorite season? Is it duck season? Or rabbit season? No, seriously. Spring, fall, winter, what's your favorite? Yeah? We, uh, we know that fall is rapidly approaching, right? Amen. Uh, I know that it's closing in because in the mornings, the, everything is cooler, if you haven't noticed a little bit. The sun is going down ever so slightly earlier, and it's coming up ever so slightly later, right? The, the orange decor in stores is everywhere, right? It's starting, and it starts earlier every year, but it's out and it's around, and uh, that helps us know that fall is about. The worst phrase in the history of all mankind starts to be spoken right after Labor Day, pumpkin spice. <laughs> both are gross, both spice and pumpkin. I don't do that uh, pumpkin spice. They don't make pumpkin spice, Dr. Pepper, so I wouldn't know. Um, there's candy out for Halloween already, which is uh, another sign of fall. Remember, another shameless pug, um, okay, for chunk or treat. We need candy donations, so grab a bag of candy and bring it uh, for donations. Hunting seasons will be, it will be rabbit season and duck season and deer season and whatever. Those, are, those always open up in the fall. Um, as you drive back and forth on the highway, many of you are already hunting a lot of animals with your cars, I see. And, uh, um, but this season right now is the best season. And it just reeks of fall. And what season is that? It's football season. Yeah, you bet. And it's football season. College football's in full swing. Great game yesterday. It was awesome. Chiefs play 3 o'clock today, so that gets going, right? Middle school football. I get to coach middle school football this uh, fall, and it's been fun. My throat's a little raspy today because I yelled a little too much on Thursday. And, uh, but I love football season. It's awesome. And uh, we watch a lot of football at our house. But over the next few weeks... Um, we're going to show, we're, we're just going to kind of explore maybe a different type of season. Not the spring, summer, fall, winter type of season. Not the baseball, football, basketball type. Not even the garlic, paprika, onion powder type of season, okay? Um, we're talking about a following season. Um, before Church in the Park, how many came to Church in the Park last week? Was that awesome? Was that fun? Yeah, we'll have to do that again. That was a good time. We had a, we had a wonderful turnout, and it was a beautiful day. We couldn't have ordered it better. But uh, before Church in the Park, um, leading up the fir- a few weeks before that, we shared about some very specific B words, right? Belong and believe and behave and become. And uh, shared about the, these different times in our lives when we're belonging and becoming and everything, that there's a, there's a time that connects them all, a time of following, that we follow Jesus to belong, that we follow Jesus to believe, that we follow Jesus to behave, and we follow Jesus to become. And then we continue to follow throughout 
whatever season of life we're in. So for a, time, uh, for a period of time, I thought uh, we could talk about the season of life between the bees, right? Between those bee words, the following season. And who better to learn from, <clears throat> who better to learn about how to follow than a group of people in Scripture that literally spent a lifetime, for some of them, following God through the wilderness. And uh, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, right? They, they, uh, they were engulfed in this season of following throughout for years and years and years. And I believe um, that it's important that uh, before we get into the bulk of exploring their following season, maybe we answer a few questions about the Israelites first, okay? Because we kind of, you know, if you've been around church for a little while, you know the nation of Israel and their, their story, especially the Moses story um, and their, their, their chance to wander around in the wilderness. But how did they get to, to Egypt in the first place, right? Well, God took them there, right? They got there on purpose. They got there by design because God was with Joseph. He wasn't there with Moses. That whole story doesn't start because Moses grew up and leads the nation of Israel out. The nation of Israel was there long before, right? So God was with Moses. He makes a promise to Abraham. We, read, uh, we heard that read today. And the promise, the promise to Abraham to be a great nation that brought about Isaac. And because of that promise that brought about Isaac, it also brought about Jacob and Esau, the twin brothers, right? And, um, and Jacob, uh, he had a whole litter of sons, like a whole mess of them, like 12 of them, that might have turned into the 12 nations of Israel, right? And Joseph... Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. Raise your hand if you are your parents' favorite son or daughter. Yeah. Uh, happy birthday, Izzy, by the way. Um, Joseph was jo- Jacob's favorite son. And parents are not supposed to have a favorite child, but Jacob did, and it was Joseph. Um, and I think if you're a parent, you probably all have one. And you won't ever tell them who it is. But Joseph got this really cool, you know, technicolor coat from his dad, Jacob. And um, that made his brothers mad. And um, he had a dream one time about uh, his brothers and how they all, and he told them about the dream. And they all bowed down to him. And that made him even more mad. And they thought, well, let's just kill him. Which is probably not our first response to things that make us mad with our siblings. But they said, let's just kill him. We have 11 other brothers. That's fine, right? So they didn't, they kind of, you know, their conscience kind of checked them. And they didn't kill him. They just sold him instead, which is not much better. They sold him. And then they lied to Jacob about it and took the coat of many colors back to him with some animal blood and said, he must have died on the road or whatever. And the animal must have got him. And so they sold him to the Ishmaelites. And off Joseph goes. And he becomes a slave. And Joseph, the entire time, through thick and thin, God was with Joseph. In the scripture throughout Genesis, the story of Joseph is is detailed for us. And we're reminded over and over again how God is with Joseph. And he ends up a slave. Well, that doesn't sound like God was with Joseph, does it? But he was. 
He ends up a slave and in prison. He ends up in Potiphar's house, and then he ends up in prison again. And he meets these guys and, um, that, that knew the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh ends up meeting Joseph because he had a dream. And he ends up in the presence of Pharaoh at one point. And God, through Joseph, um, and he interprets Pharaoh's dream. And long story short, Joseph becomes the vice Pharaoh of all of Egypt. Second in command of all of Egypt because he interprets this dream for the Pharaoh. And he ends up saving all of Egypt and most importantly, saving his family. Who's his dad? His dad is Jacob. And remember um, what happened to his dad, Jacob. He wrestled all night one night with uh, this stranger. And happened to be God. And God changed his name that day. And what did he change his name to? Israel. And all of a sudden, things become a little more clear. That these 12 brothers become this family of Israel. And this nation, they weren't a nation then. They became a nation later. They were just a big family, right? But the nation of Israel eventually moves to Egypt to live with Joseph, because that's where um, God brought them, right? So, um, so eventually, Jacob ends up moving his family down. The nation of Israel is officially living in Egypt, where God brings them, because Joseph uh, was elevated to um, being in a place of, of influence, and he brings Jacob's family uh, down and, and keeps them safe from this famine, Right? And he reveals himself in the most awkward family reunion ever, probably. And, and all of this happens in order to get the nation of Israel safe because God made a promise to Abraham, to Joseph's great-grandpa. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation, and here's how it's going to happen. No, he didn't say that. He just said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And all these things start to unfold. And that brings us to the end of the book of Genesis. So we started in chapter 12 with uh, our scripture reading today. God makes a promise to Abraham. And then we get to the end of, uh, of Joseph's life. The end of the book of Genesis brings us to the end of Joseph's life. And today it really is just kind of a, a setup, if you will, for where we're headed over the next few weeks. So bear with me. It's a little more um, a meat, if you will, to kind of grab onto and kind of see where we're headed um, and, and a little of the backstory context, if you will. But here's what Joseph tells. Uh, this is how Joseph's life ends after God is with him through all of this time of his life. In, uh, this is uh, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 24. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take, up, take you up out of this land he promised on oath to our great-grandfather, our grandfather, and our dad. He promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear on oath and said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones from this place. So Joseph died, and at the age of 110, and after, they, and after they embalmed him and placed him in a coffin in Egypt. And that's the end of Genesis. And then what do you do? Right? Then what do you do? 
turn the page, right? That's the end. We find out that Joseph has a lot of faith that God is going to do what God promised he would do. He probably thought, well, God's going to do what God promised to do while I'm still alive. That's why I went through all the stuff that I went through, right? But it didn't happen, and I'm about to die. So here's the plan, boys. He tells his brothers, this is going to happen. God said it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then he tells uh, a couple other people in uh, the nation of Israel, listen, when I, when I die, make sure that my bones leave with you. When you go to the promise, land that God promised, take me with you. And then we turn the page. And when I turn the page, I see Exodus. Is that what you see in your Bible? Exodus, which literally means a mass departure of people. So we know what's coming, right, in the, in the book of Exodus, right? The last two words, dictionary.com, this, this, the, the resource um, that is available to everyone, right, it tells this huge story. It, it says at the back of uh, uh, this mass exodus of people, especially immigrants, which means that they didn't necessarily belong there. They were getting ready to move. They're ready to go. A mass departure of people, especially for immigrants. We would call them refugees today, right? But back then, they were, they, would have been, they were just getting ready to move on to the next thing. You see, the Israelite nation, they were just hanging out in Egypt. They were just residing there. They were just living there. That was not their home. That was not the place that God had promised them. He promised them way more. He had more in store for them. And God was going to keep his promise. And he made them promise. Joseph made them promise, take me with you. If I'm not alive, take my bones with you. And he made them, made them make that promise. So at the beginning of Exodus, we find out what happens to Israel. Okay? After, after what, uh, what we read in Genesis. So life was good, right? Life is good. Jacob's descendants were fruitful and multiplied. That's what the beginning of, of Exodus tells us. It tells us the names of all the tribes of, of, uh, of, of Jacob. And, and it says that they were fruitful and they multiplied. And when Jacob's family all came to Egypt, there were like 70 of them, right? There was 12 kids, 12 boys. That's a lot. And then they had all their kids and, you know, whatever. And they were fruitful and they multiplied. And um, eventually, though, what happens to everybody happened to them. Joseph, all Joseph's brothers died. Jacob died. Joseph died. The Pharaoh that elevated Joseph to high power died. And eventually a new Pharaoh takes over. This new Pharaoh who doesn't know Joseph. This new Pharaoh doesn't care what Joseph did for all of Egypt. Right? God chose Joseph to, and to put him in this spot because he was saving his people. But in, in turn, he also saved all of Egypt, right? With this plan to save all of the excess grain and to store it up for seven years. And, and that plan that he had saved all of Egypt too. And the Pharaoh that took over didn't care. He didn't care to, that, that Joseph did all that. He only notices one thing. He notices that there are Israelites everywhere. And their people just keep getting bigger and bigger. And there's more and more of them. 
and they had to take matters into their own hands. Otherwise, if those Israelites decided that they want to take over, they were going to take over. And they didn't want that to happen. So they forced them into being slaves. And 174 years after Joseph dies, after the scripture that we just read in Genesis chapter 50, 174 years later. Now, when we talk about in those times, back that far back, when we put numbers on it, we're going to have some give and take, right? A little plus and minus, but not a ton. The historians are pretty smart, and I trust them, okay? But about 100, I'll say about 174 years after Joseph dies, his bones are still being stored in Egypt. And he's faithfully, uh, he's, he's, his bones are waiting faithfully to be delivered to this land that God promised to Abraham. And 174 years later, a baby named Moses is born and is put in the river and floated down the river. And the Pharaoh's daughter picks him up. And Moses, Moses was God, who God was going to use, who the Israelites were going to follow out of Egypt, just like Joseph was confident would happen 174 years earlier, right? Takes a little more time than we might think, right? So it turns out it would be about 300 years after Joseph died before any movement happened. But Joseph knew God would keep his promise. And spoiler alert, here's what happened. In Joshua chapter 24, we get, we get the news that, that Joseph makes it. And Joseph's bones in Joshua 24, 32. And Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up out of Egypt. So he made it. All right? We get excited, which is kind of weird. We're not going to go there. But it's all kind of weird. Um, that, that Joseph's bones, which the Israelites brought up out of Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob brought, that, bought, that Jacob bought for 100 pieces of silver from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem. 400 years earlier, the land that Jacob bought, Joseph finally makes it to his resting place. When God makes a promise, it will happen. Just when we follow him, we'll see those promises unfold in our lives. And that just like the Israelites did. And the more and more we get to read through this story over the next few weeks, we're going to see how faithful God is in our following seasons. And I hope that we get to uh, unpack this in a great way, and I hope God does a lot in our hearts through this. And so that's how the nation of Israel, that's how they get to Egypt. It's why they were in slavery. God brought them there on purpose, and circumstances in their lives happened. It wasn't their fault that they became slaves. It wasn't their fault that they were just living their life, being fruitful and multiplied, and somebody imposed their will on them, and they became slaves for 430, 430 years they were in the land of Egypt, total, which means they got pretty comfortable, right? They got pretty comfortable in their environment. The people that actually leave Egypt and follow Moses after let my people go, you know, they didn't know anything different than Egypt. And their parents didn't know anything different. And their parents, for generations and generations before, for four centuries, they didn't know anything different than Egypt. Because that's where God brought them. 
But after becoming slaves and spending 430 years there in Egypt, they followed God out of the only place that those people knew as home. And it took 80 years of following God through the wilderness for, them, for God to get the Egypt out of them. And that's part of what we'll talk about later uh, in a few weeks. But all of those things that they thought, you know, they were missing, right? They, they complained to Moses and God in the wilderness. We don't have anything to eat. We don't have places to stay. We, when we were slaves, we at least knew we were going to have food. When we were slaves, we at least had a roof over our head. We at least had protection, all those things. They get griped about everything, right? All the comforts that they thought they had, they had time. Uh, they had to spend time in this following season <coughs> to understand what God was going to use them for and what their purpose was. So in the weeks to come, we're going to talk more about how they followed and then what they learned while they followed. So for the rest of our time, um, which is not too long, I promise, I wanted to share just a couple of thoughts about following, okay? Um, why do we follow? Why, why do we, we've talked a lot about that over the last few, really, month and a half, right? Why do we follow? Why is that invitation that Jesus extended to the disciples and to us and to the people that he encountered while he was on the earth, why was that so important? Instead of just saying, you should just believe. Why didn't he say, believe, right now? Why did he say, follow? Why do we do that? Right? He could have even been more forceful than that, right? Do it now. And coerced people into to being um, believers, right? But it was an invitation to follow. Who, how, how do you receive things better? If I tell you to do something or I invite you to do something? You're probably going to say, probably the second one, because I don't like to be told to do anything, right? A lot of us don't like to be told to do anything, do we? If I had to raise our hands, I don't like to be told to do anything. It's just part of our nature. But if we're asked in the right way, like words matter, right? Our tone of voice, our attitude it means a lot. And if I ask you nicely rather than saying, do it, then it's going to make a big difference, right? So, you know, it's, it's impossible to force someone to follow you, okay? Have you ever tried to get a cat to follow you? It's about that way, right? Cats do what they want to do. That's what people are like, okay? Dogs will follow you because they're good, Dogs are good. I like cats, but they won't follow you. And they'll just sit down and, you know, like go and do whatever, right? Um, but it's impossible to force someone to follow you. You can push people to do it. You can herd them. Like, you know, you can direct them. You can yell at them, give them directions, right? But it's a choice to follow. And that's why we follow. It's personal. And that's the way God wanted it. He wants it to be personal. He wants it to be up to us because everything is done. It's laid out for us, and it's already done. So when we follow, we learn a few things, and uh, we, we experience a few things, and that's what we're going to wrap up with. So um, three things. It, it, it's how we learn, it's how we grow, and it's how we surrender. Okay? So when we follow, we learn. Right? When you're following... 
you're watching, you're absorbing things, right? Um, we think about the disciples. Um, when they first started following Jesus, they spent every waking minute following Jesus, watching, listening, taking in all the things that he did. And they had different opinions, all of them. They all came from different backgrounds. They had different family uh, backgrounds and styles, and they, they had different educations, right? And they saw Jesus do things, and they, they had different opinions on how Jesus should be the Messiah. I don't think it was a problem about thinking that, that he was the Messiah. They were more concerned about how that was all going to unfold, right? But they learned how to be Jesus to the world. Because Jesus knew that soon enough, he wouldn't be there anymore. He knew that he physically would be gone and he needed representation on this earth to carry the gospel forward. And so they didn't do it perfect every time. And they learned from their failures. Because when you fail, what happens? You learn. And when we follow, we learn. Sometimes when we follow, we learn how to do things the right way instead of doing things the wrong way. Okay, when you, uh, I talk about football season, when I was coaching college football, we watch a lot of film, and you watch what you did the day before, and um, you improve. You see what mistakes you made, so you don't make them again, okay? So you want to improve on your failures. You celebrate the good stuff, right? You encourage the, the, the good things, but you learn when you fail. And so when we follow we learn. And when our eyes are set on Jesus and living a life the same way that he did, we'll learn just like the disciples did. To do things the way that Jesus did. To say things and to act like the way that Jesus did. So when we follow, we learn. And when we follow, it's how we grow. Um, when we're following, you take time to grow in Christ. So this time between the B's, right, or between the belonging or behaving, whatever time you're trying to find, this following season is about growth and trying to grow closer to Jesus Christ. Again, look back at the disciples' example. Jesus didn't invite Peter and Andrew and James and John that first day on the side of the lake and, and say, okay, follow me. And then a week later, send them out to be missionaries. All right, here you go, guys. We'll see you. And give them a crash course for a week and say, this is how you do it. And good luck, boys. That's not what he did. No, he, they needed time to grow in Christ. They needed time to grow in their faith. Because uh, everything was happening so fast for them. It was becoming real. The things that they had learned, the little um, Ideas that they may have heard when they were in church and little boys um, growing up, the, the education that they got, it was all becoming real. They knew what a Messiah, the Messiah was coming, but they didn't understand. Boom, right there. He just asked me to follow him. They didn't get that and what that was going to look, what it was going to look like. So they needed time to grow. And when we follow, we grow. Growth takes time, doesn't it? We, we don't plant a seed and a watermelon seed on Tuesday and get a watermelon on our plate on Friday. It takes time and it takes effort. Just like any season takes time, right? Because 
summer started back on June 21st, and now we're almost out of it. It takes time. Over, and, and over that time, our relationship with Christ will grow when we spend time with him. So when we follow, we learn, and when we follow, we grow, and when we follow, we surrender. And following, really, in its truest sense, is all about surrender, isn't it? Because you're not in control when you follow. You, it is really just implied, the word follow, the action of following means that you don't even know where you're going a lot of times. You're just kind of going where God leads you, right? The disciples, they had big plans for Jesus in their heads, right? He's the Messiah. Here's how it's going to be. The king is here. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to sit on his right hand. I'm going to sit on his other side. We're going we're gonna to rule together. The king of kings, here's how you should do it, Jesus. They had their plans, right? That's not surrender, and that's not follow, right? How'd that work out for them? Not really, right? God, Jesus had to put them in their place a little bit. Jesus had other plans, plans that included surrendering himself, his own life for our sins, for the sins of the whole world. So when we follow, we surrender, right? Because following allows us to let go of the reins and let, let, the life, uh, let, let our life and let God lead us and guide us. Um, I can remember when I was a kid, we had horses at day camp, and um, there was, we had a little corral, and those three horses, they were old. And they would, there was a path, and we'd get on the saddle. You wouldn't have to, you wouldn't have to hold the reins. Because they just followed the path. They knew what to follow. They weren't dumb. They'd done it a thousand times. They didn't need me to pull, pull over the reins and guide and direct them. No. They knew exactly what to do. So I could just let go and hold on and sit there. So that's what we have to do sometimes. We just, sometimes we just got to let go and hold on tight and let God just direct us. And that's what surrender looks like. And when we follow... We surrender. And so I think that uh, our lives have to be lived with open hands and an open heart and open to where he wants to lead us. And uh, so we're off to a good start. Um, I encourage you, read through, um, read through some of Exodus if you, if you want some good reading. They're good stories, um, good childhood memory stories if you want, but uh, um, this, we're invited into the season of following Jesus as we learn to take the next step of faith, whatever that looks like for you, whether it's becoming or believing or, um, or, or behaving differently, whatever that looks like, we're all in the middle and we're all trying to follow Jesus and, and, and take that next step of faith for what God's preparing us to do. And next week we get to follow, uh, see that following needs a leader. And we'll talk a little bit about how Moses had his own following season before God puts him in charge of leading the Israelite nation out of Egypt. So I encourage you to start reading, actually just read through Exodus chapter 1, figure out kind of what happened to Moses and why he needed some following time before God gets a hold of him there in, the, in, in that burning bush time. So um, let me pray for you.
And uh, then after that, we're going to um, all take, uh, gather together and, com- and take communion together as we uh, wrap up today. Father God, we thank you so much for this time that you've uh, given us. And we just pray that in the season of following, Father, that you will um, just help us to learn and to grow and teach us to surrender and, and to show us exactly what you want for our lives in this next step of faith that we need to take. And it looks different for every one of us. But Father, we just ask, dear God, that you will um, impress on our hearts and speak directly to us and give, the bold, give us the boldness to walk through the doors that, that you open and to not continue to challenge ourselves to, to try and open the closed doors and, and to follow you in everything that we do. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, the worship team is going to come on up here and uh, get themselves ready. And um, we're going to partake in communion as followers. We have the opportunity to remember.